open your Bibles this evening. We're going to be in John 17. John 17. I guess I'm on a 17 kick today. Acts 17 this morning. John this evening. John 17. This is the prayer of intercession. This is the Lord's Prayer. Many times, uh, Matthew 6 and Luke 11 is called the Lord's Prayer, but that's the model prayer. That's the prayer he told his disciples to pray. That um, he, he told him, he, he, we weren't supposed to pray like that in repetition. Sometimes uh, the Bible says in the Holy Spirit in Romans 8, is, uh, he, he pleads for us in intercession. Sometimes we don't know what to pray. Sometimes the greatest prayers that we can ever pray when we're down and out and have the biggest troubles is something simple as, oh, Lord. Remember Peter, when he's sinking in the water, he said, Lord, save me. It's not much of a prayer, but it's an effective prayer. But the greatest prayer that was ever prayed is the prayer of Jesus here in John 17. We have great prayers in the Bible. It's filled. The Bible is filled with prayers of the saints because God wants communication with his, with his people. Sin has separated him. And through the temples, through the tabernacles, through the prophets, and through his own son, he has tried to reconcile that, that, that relationship. Uh, Solomon's prayer. There's a great prayer of dedication to the temple. Abraham's prayer for Lot in the city of Sodom in Genesis 18. Moses' prayer of intercession in Exodus 32, a picture of Christ for the people of Israel. But this, this prayer is by far the greatest recorded prayer prayer in the Bible. John 17 is the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Oliver B. Green says, this is the most remarkable chapter in all 66 books of the Bible. It stands alone. He continues on and says, this is one of the portions of God's Word which makes me feel that I should remove my shoes from my feet because I stand on holy ground like Moses before the burning bush. John Knox, who brought the Gospel to Scotland in the 1500s. He's called the Thundering Scot. He's known for his uh, quote, Give me Scotland or I die. On his deathbed, his wife asked where he, wanted him to, where he wanted her to read. He stated, read where I first put my anchor down in the 17th chapter of John. Matthew Henry said it is the most remarkable prayer followed, following the most full and consoling discourse ever uttered on the earth. Warren Wearsby would say it is the holy of holies of gospel record. Christ is ta not talking up to the Father. He's talking in line with the Father. And he's making the operation of God, as, first, uh, as Colossians would say, known to the disciples around him. There's three great divisions. If you want to write these down or put these in your mind, there, there are, there's three divisions in here from verses 1 to 5. He's praying to the Lord in line with him, right? Lord Jesus Christ is praying to God the Father in the presence of the disciples so they can hear the will of God. He is praying upwards. In verses 6 through 19, he's praying for the disciples around them, and he is praying outward. In verses 20 through 26, he is praying for the future believers. And believe it or not, if you didn't pray this morning, Jesus is praying for you today. Amen. And he's praying onward into the future. Look at chapter 17 and verse 1. It says, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven. And this is what he said. Red letter. Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. 
And this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. O now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. The word hour in verse verse, uh, 1 here says, Father, the hour. Hour means an appointed time. The hour points to the reasons of of God becoming flesh and dwelling upon, uh, upon the earth and walking this earth for 33 and a half years. The hour is the pinnacle and purpose of Christ's ministry. You can look at God's life from eternity to eternity with Calvary in the middle. He says the hour. The hour has always been referenced. That hour has always been referenced. In Genesis 3.15, the fall of man happens, and, and, and God tells him, he says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. All right, what he says is, all right, man fell in the garden. Sin is now entered in. Man messed it up. God needs, man needs to redeem himself, but he can't redeem himself because he's just a sinner. He needs somebody to go in his place. And God has set forth in motion the cross of Calvary in his, in, in his uh, incarnation. We see that in Genesis 3.15. In John 2.4, that hour was always looming in Jesus' ministry. John 2.4, he says, he says that he, uh, he said, my hour has not yet come when they came to him to turn the water into wine. He said, we got, we got to hold off. Mine hour has not yet come. It's a promised hour. Uh, John 7, 8, he refused to go to the Feast of Tabernacles because his hour had not yet come. It was a promised hour. Turn to, your, turn to John chapter 7. We're going to do a Bible study tonight on this. And I want you to see some of these great truths. John 7, chapter, chapter 7 and verse 30. Next thing you know, after all the miracles, he's told, he's told them, he says, whenever he said, before Abraham was, I am, he was telling the Pharisees, I am that very God. He says, I'm not some God, I'm not like a God, I'm not one of many gods. Jesus Christ is God. And he's telling them, me and, I, me and my Father are one. In John 7, 30, you see it's a protected hour. It says, then they that, they that sought him to take him, but no man laid hands on him, because his hour was not yet come. John 8, 20, the same thing happens. The Bible says, These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no man laid his hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. The cross of Calvary was not an ambulance, God running there with, a, with an ambulance because it was an accident. It was, it was a promised hour. It was a protected hour. Before the foundations of the world, there was a cross of Calvary, and Jesus set his eyes on it. And then... We see that Pilate couldn't stand, was not the one that put him on the cross. Herod could not put him on the cross. The Jews didn't kill him. And the Romans could not hinder the work of God. His hour had not yet come. God had put his hand of protection on him. Jesus said, I can't, uh, you can't touch me until it's my time. He's the only one that's ever laid down his life for himself. All through the Old Testament, you see the example. Eve has a son named Cain. He said, hey, here's that. she thinks that's the promised seed. But they said, the Bible says he's of the wicked one and slew his brother. You'll see it all through there that, that you have David and you have, uh, you have 
uh, David and you have Bathsheba and, and the line of Jesus and Judah is trying to be destroyed all through the Old Testament. But the hand of God, he still, Jesus still comes in a virgin birth, in a manger, and, 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 and no matter how much the devil, how much the world, how much anybody tried to change God's plan of redemption for man, nobody could do it because God has his hands in it. And then we see... It's like a ship going from New York to London. Men get on this big ocean liner and they would go to London. Men can go up and down the ship. They can do all kinds of things on the ship. They can eat, drink, and be merry. No matter what they do, that ship's going to finally end up at its destination. God says the destination is that hour. It's the cross of Calvary. And he says, you guys can do whatever you want to do here on earth. I'm still in control over this thing. The cross of Calvary is going to come no matter what. Then look at John 11. It was, it's, a, it's a reason, you see the reason and you see the realization. This is, this is the raising of Lazarus. He, a, a man can do many, many miracles, you know, and Moses had his uh, opposition. Pharaoh had his people that could, that could do some miracles and do some things, but it wasn't in the power of God. But, but when, when it comes to raising the dead, they knew that only God can breathe life into a dead person. And when it came to Lazarus in chapter 11 and verse 45, it said, Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them that thing, what things Jesus had done. This was a new thing. In Luke 8, Jesus would raise Jairus' daughter. That, uh, he, Jairus' daughter would be alive, I mean, be dead for only a few minutes. The widow of Nain's son in Luke 7, she, he raised them up, touched the coffin, and they were only dead for a few hours. Now Jesus walks in there and the disciples say, he walks to Lazarus' get, grave. The disciple says, he, he said, don't go in there, he stinketh, right? He's been dead for four days, or three, four days, yeah. And he said, don't, he stinketh. I'm glad God, this is, this is a little sidetrack, this little side note. I'm glad God doesn't care about our stink, but he cares about our soul, Amen. He comes right on in there. He doesn't even worry about it. He just says, Lazarus, come forth. We all have heard him say if he would have said, come forth, every grave in the Middle East would have opened up. All the funeral parlors would hang their signs up out of business because Jesus could have called them all out. But now the Pharisees see the power in Jesus Christ, and that power is not something man can manifest. It must be the power of God, and if it's the power of God, he must be God. And then, this is what they say in verse 47, Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council, and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and the nation. And one of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, You know nothing at all, nor consider that it is one expedient for us, it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish, perish not. And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. And not for that nation only, but that, that also he should gather together and one of the children of God that were scattered abroad. And here's your verse. Then from that day forth they took counsel together to put him to death. The Pharisees says, we, we can't have this. And in the Old Testament, somebody came and claimed they were God. They had the right to, to, 
to, to kill them, right? But Jesus was the Son of God. They missed it. They kept saying, the Abraham our father. Abraham, yeah, he's a little F father. When you see little F in your Bible and the Jews are speaking, that's usually Abraham. But there was a capital F father that was a little bit larger than him. It wasn't the little F father that, 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 that uh, God used to make a nation of many people, stars in heaven. It was a big F God. Who, who said, hey, leave thee and go out and, and, do, and, and he'll, be, he'll leave the land of uh, Ur and get out of here, right? He told him, pack up everything. And then they had Moses. Well, what about Moses? He would say something about Moses. Well, they always worshiped the man Abraham. They always worshiped the Moses of Abraham. And I mean, uh, uh, they worshiped the man Abraham and the man Moses, but they missed the God of Abraham and they missed the God of Moses. And now they want to kill him. If he lives, they say, the nation will perish. If he dies, the nation will be saved. Jesus of Nazareth. Any good thing come out of Nazareth? How can a God come out of Nazareth? How can a king born in the lineage of David come out of Nazareth? They feared uh, they would, what they would lose by following Jesus. How many Christians fear what they will lose by following Jesus? We think we're going to lose something. You may lose some things, but if you lose some things, it'll be for the glory of God, and you won't miss them in a little while. And then look at John 12, 23. Now the wheel is turning, and Jesus answers them, and he says, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. He said, Except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. For if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He said, my time's here, Verse to, uh, chapter, chapter 12, 27. Now is my soul troubled, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Did he come to be a miracle worker? No. Did he come to be a good man, a good prophet? No. He came unto this hour to save sinners from their sins. The purposes of Jesus' first coming was not to establish the kingdom, be a great miracle worker to establish a new religion. The disciples standing by may have hoped that the hour was his coronation or his crowning. Jesus taking the throne in Jerusalem and overthrowing the oppressive Roman government. They didn't want him to die. They wanted him to save, save that nation. Be a king. And now Jesus is telling them that he may have to die. That he will have to die. Not may, but he will. And then look at John 13.1. John, uh, th John uh, rep 13 in the number of your Bible is the number of rebellion. That comes from Genesis 14. That tells us that, uh, that, that these nations in the 13th year they rebelled. This is, the, this is the chapter where Judas Iscariot will step away from God. He will betray him for 30 pieces of silver. He has, he has already uh, made a deal with the devil, so to speak. Judas Iscariot's 13 letters number of rebellion but in chapter 13 in verse 1 Jesus looks over here and he says now before the feast of the Passover when Jesus knew that his hour was come that he, he should depart out of this world unto the father having loved his own which were in the world he loved them until they betrayed him no he says he loves them unto the end he loves Judas he said in Psalms it says he was betrayed by a friend. And Matthew, he looks over at Judas and he calls, uh, Jesus looks over at Judas and calls him friend. 
he would dip the sop and he would dip the sop and hand it to him. And after the sop, Satan entered him. He said, thou doest do quickly. You know why? Because that was a that was friendship, right? Baptists don't share their food with anybody. When they do, you got a best friend, right? That's right. Amen. Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, hey, you don't have to do this, Judas. You don't have to go this route. There's options. And then verse 30 of 13, it says, He then, having received the sop, went out, went out, immediately went out, and it was night. When you step away from God and you go your own way, you don't go in the will of God, you don't listen to the word of God, and you step away from Him, it'll always be night. It'll always be dark. Jesus loved him. He, he loved him. He doesn't, God doesn't love us like we love others, by the way. It's hard for under, us to understand God's love. God doesn't love me anymore because I'm up here and you're down there. God doesn't love me more or you more if you've got this and you don't have that. He says in the Old Testament, was it Jacob? Uh, he, he, married, he married Leah and then Rachel or Rebecca. Rachel, always get them mixed up. But he, he married one, got the wrong one, tender-eyed. Then seven years later, he gets the other one. Yeah, amen. And uh, he, said, he said it was like a short time. He said he loved them so much, it was like a short time. He said his love, he told Israel that. He said, he said that it, not because you're great people. He said, he said, or you're great in number. He said, I just did it because I love you. We can't understand the love of God. He loved Judas to the end. And he tried his best to keep him the right way. Judas goes out, and then John 14, he tells them, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. John 15, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Chapter 16, I've got to leave, but I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. And then look at John 16 and verse 32. uh, Judas has left in chapter 13. And he says right here, Jesus speaking in, in John 16, 32, Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered every man to his own, and shall leave me alone, and yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Their concern and their troubled hearts is the, is the prompting of John 17 and Jesus' prayer in front of them. But look at John 16, 32. Notice this change. I was reading this one night. It says, Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come. Mid-sentence, Jesus gives you a future, the hour cometh. Then he stops and he corrects himself and is now come. John 13, Judas leaves to go to the Pharisees. And then Jesus and the disciples, the rest of them, are heading to Gethsemane to pray. We have Jesus here talking to the disciples, tell them, let not your heart be troubled. We have Judas over there making a deal with the Pharisees to betray uh, Jesus. This is a little Clayton theology. It could be wrong. You can take it how you want. I believe as Jesus is speaking, behold, the hour cometh. I believe that 30 pence, uh, 30 pieces of silver swapped hands with the Pharisees. The hour is coming over here. And then it says, it's now come. The deal is set. And then he looks up and he says, the hour, Father, 
the hour is come. And then the next chapter after John, uh, John 17 is Gethsemane. And, and you see Judas come in, and I find it interesting that they bind Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He never resisted. He never said one word about, I, I, I don't want to go, you got the wrong guy. He, he was, he, you know, like your police show, it wasn't me. I didn't do it. I've got pockets full of jewelry, but I didn't rob anybody, right? Jesus, Jesus didn't try to say you got the wrong guy. He, he went willingly to the cross, right? For your sin, my sin, he went willingly. But why did they bind him? In the Old Testament, they, uh, they had to bind the sacrifice on the altar. Jesus is a picture of all those types in the Old Testament. He's not going to miss one of them. I have in here, Christ took our place of bondage so we could go free. What a blessing. What a blessing. He's bound. And then 19 is the cross. 20 is the resurrection. 21 is his, his commission. Many would die on the Roman crosses in these days, but only one could die for the sins of man. One. And that hour was coming. That's his purpose, but his proclamation, it says in John 17, it says, Thou hast given him power over all flesh. Only Christ has the power over all flesh. Flesh is your skin, but it also is our edemic nature that is bent against everything that is godly. You ever heard somebody that's lost say, Man, I don't read the Bible, it's hard to read. That's right, it's a spiritual book for spiritual people. Amen. It is a hard book. If you don't have the author helping you out, it's a very difficult book. Amen. But he had power over all flesh. And some would say it's the animals. He is creator God, by the way. Evolution is, is just as much of a faith as anything else. You know why evolution is so dangerous? We'll just throw it out there since we're plowing those fields, right? Man is made perfect in the garden. Man sins willingly against God. God has to provide a, a sacrifice for man. The fall of man is so great, man can't pick himself up. God has to come down. God, Jesus came down so we could go up. He came to where we are so we can go where he is. And you know what? Evolution says that it was a big bang. We're all here for an accident. If we're all here for an accident, there was never a fall of man. Therefore, there would never be a need for a savior. You, you wipe the whole record out by the theory of evolution. He said that he was the God of creation. He, he, he took that one fish and had a tribute money in his mouth for Peter. But then he also, he could gather up a, a net of fish for Peter. He, he cast the demons out from Gethsemane into the pigs, and they jumped off in the water. Somebody said that's the first, first case of deviled ham, right? You ever heard that? But it's important, the importance of him having power of over all flesh. No man has ever had power over his own flesh. I can prove it. You ate lunch and you probably ate something after that. You will eat until you're full at the Cheesecake Factory, but you just got to have that cheesecake. The flesh is never satisfied. It's never satisfied. We got Amazon if you want something. It's never satisfied. Click on it and get it. We got entertainment. Football game will come up. Whatever's coming up. Super Bowl's got to be closed. I don't know. Super Bowl's coming up. You watch that. You feel great. When's the next one? The flesh is never satisfied. The Bible says that he was without spot or without blemish. He was without spot in his conception. Right? 
Joseph was not his dad. He, he, he said, I must be about my father's business. Mary knew what he was talking about. Mary knew what he was talking about. In his spot, he, in his conception of virgin birth, Holy Spirit in the womb, and then without blemish in his life, Jesus walked this earth. No man has power over his flesh, but Jesus had power over his flesh. Hold your place here and go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. After Hebrews and James, 1 Peter chapter 2. In verse 21, the vicarious sufferings of Christ. For even hereunto, this is verse 21, are ye call, were ye called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. Verse 22, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Jesus always has been God, always was God, and always will be God. There wasn't a time in his ministry when he became God. He always has been. It says, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. And when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for he hath made him to be sin for us. He, God the Father, hath made him, God the Son, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I've said this before, God demands perfection to enter the kingdom of God. To enter heaven, to enter into his presence, God demands perfection. But all we are like, all our works and righteousness is like filthy rags. There's not a just man on earth that doeth good and sinneth not. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's nothing man can produce to get uh, break that to, to break that big uh, gap between us and God. There's nothing man can produce in his own righteousness. So God provides his son to die for us. He had no sin in him, but at Calvary our sin was placed upon him. Isaiah 53, 6, it says, The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. If he was not virgin born, if he was just like us and he had a father, he was just, he, if he was born of a young maiden and not of a virgin, everybody in this world that's ever been born has been born by a young maiden, right? The deity of Christ, it's a virgin that he was born. If he, was, if he was just like everyone else, born like everyone else, and lived and died like everyone else, he couldn't be our Savior. It took a perfect lamb. It's a, it's a lamb in, in, over there in the Old Testament that was a perfect lamb. You know, they had to wait four days to prove that he was a, a perfect lamb without spot or blemish. You know what we got in the New Testament telling us he's without spot and blemish? Four Gospels. Amen? They got four days, we got four Gospels. He is the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. John 19.30, it says that, he, that it, it is finished. Salvation's plan was, brought, was, was finished in John 19.30. And then we see that the knowledge of God, this is life eternal. It's not in a, a church affiliation. It's not stirring the baptismal waters. If it was on the days we go soul winning, somebody with a pickup truck, we'll just start dunking people. We go door to door, and let's go. We just dunk them. But it's not about Baptists. It's not about being baptized. You go in that baptistry, a sinner, 
a dry sinner, you'll come out a wet sinner. The baptistry has no saving abilities in itself. It is a picture and type of the death and burial of uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just as I'm, I'm married, I put a ring on my finger. I don't have it on now, working, it gets in the way, but I, I put a ring on my finger. If I take that ring off, that ring is saying that I am, I am married to somebody. That baptism is said, I identify with the death, burial, and resu- resurrection of Christ. But if I take that ring off, I'm still married. It's still there, right? People that get saved in nursing home don't get them to the baptistry. They still don't go to hell. They make it right into the gates of heaven. Amen. Amen. Life eternal is through a person, not a process. It's through a person, and that's Jesus Christ. Jacob was looking at that ladder spanning from earth to heaven. And that ladder reached all the way to heaven and all the way to earth, and that is a picture of Jesus Christ. And I think of him on the cross of Calvary. He died for the sins of the whole world. One hand reaching east, one west. His feet are reaching south and his head's reaching north. The whole world Jesus died for. There's not a person on this earth that Christ cannot save. There's not a person anywhere, any time that Jesus could not save. Christ can save anyone in this world. Still can. The blood of Jesus Christ has not lost any effect in 2,000 years. It is through the blood of Jesus Christ. And somebody said one time that Jesus is God in focus. In the Old Testament, God would speak to certain men, certain prophets, speak to the priest in the holies of holies. He would lead the Israelites with a pillar of, of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day, but he really couldn't see him. He really couldn't get a grip on him. And the Bible says that he was manifested in the flesh. It says in Acts 20 that the church was purchased with God's own blood. It says that this is God in focus. You know what made Jesus different from every man? That's in John 1. It was grace and truth. We live in a world that doesn't have much uh, grace and very little truth. My dad used to say there's two sides to every story and then there's the truth. And there's a lot of truth behind that. It may not be gospel record, but there's a lot of truth behind that. Jesus walked this earth glorifying the Father. And it says that, he says in John 8, 29, he said, I always, I do always those things that please the Father. It was God's, it, it makes God smile when a sinner comes to know, know, know his Christ. It makes God smile whenever somebody gets yanked from the depths of hell to the glories of heaven. It makes God smile. All of that Jesus went through. Yes, salvation's free, but, it, but, it, but it's not cheap. It costs God his only begotten son. God speaks audibly three times in the New Testament. At his baptism, at his transfiguration, and the triumphal entry. Two of those three, God looks down and said, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I'm glad Jesus came by my way one day. I'm glad he's standing here. I'm glad his hour would come. I'm glad the cross was in view. I'm glad that he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. I'm glad he stood before those who would mock him. I'm glad that he stood before those who would beat him. I'm glad he would stand before those who would crucify him, pierce his side, bury him in a borrowed tomb, because if not, we would not have salvation. If not, the sinner could not go free. 
Because I, he, our sins were placed upon him on the cross of Calvary. You know, you know what's wonderful is when you get saved, it's just like you visit Calvary 2,000 years ago. You say, how is that? How is that? Because it's not a physical transaction, it's a spiritual. God transcends all time. He's there paying for your sin. He's taking care of it as we speak. Thank God for the cross of Calvary. Thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ. And he says, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. It's the pre-existence of Christ. He always has been. He's the ancient of days. He's the first. He's the last. He's the alpha. He's the omega. He's the beginning of the end. He's wonderful. He's counselor. He's mighty God. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He said, no man coming to the Father but by me. What a wonderful prayer. Take you about three minutes to read this. But he looks up. You know, you, know, you know, the disciples came up to him in Luke 11, and he said, Lord, teach us to pray. There was a lot of things Jesus did. And out of all those things, they didn't say, Lord, teach me to preach. Lord, teach me to walk on water, do a good miracle. He said, Lord, teach me to pray. Amen. And then he says in Luke 18, he says, to pray without ceasing. He says, here's your model prayer in Matthew 6. Three things you're supposed to do in secret in Matthew 6. One, pray. Two, give. And three, fast. I'm going to tell everybody you're doing it, right? You do it. Do in secret. God looks upon it. And then Jesus gives his prayer. What a wonderful prayer it is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I love you, and I thank you for an opportunity to be here this evening. You've been good to us. Thank you for looking at the cross. Thank you for enduring the hardships here on earth for our joy. And thank you for the, the peace that comes from knowing you. The Bible says without Christ there is no peace. And Lord, I thank you for the peace. It's peace that passes all understanding. Thank you for the joy that is abundant, or the life that's abundant, and the joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. Thank you for sending your Son to die in our place. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.